You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. All right, get your Bibles out. Let's open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today, as we look at a message that I've entitled A Focused Heart. A Focused Heart. And, uh, and so I'd ask you this question to begin with, and that is, what is your heart focused on these days? Where do you find your passions? Where do you find your desires? Uh, what are they drawn to? Um, during these days. Uh, maybe you find your, your um, passion in your heart, your focus uh, drawn towards your family. And uh, there's things that are going on and that's just where all the eggs seem to be in that basket right now. Or, or maybe for you, it's a health issue that uh, you're going through and you just feel overwhelmed by that and all of your heart and all of your passion seems to be drawn to that. Or, or maybe it's your job and there's transitions that are going on and there's not a security maybe that there once was and you find your, your focus is towards that, or, or maybe, maybe you uh, are making money, and you're making good money, and you're liking making good money, and, and you want to make more good money, and you just find your heart and your focus attached to that all of the time. Where, where do you find, if you are really honest, what is the passion of your heart? What, what do you find yourself focused on today? Twice in the text that we are going to look at, it says, um, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. See, those things I talked about, none of them in and of themselves are wrong or necessarily evil, um, but they can be displaced into a wrong place. They can get a priority that they really shouldn't get, and we lose sight of what the main things ought to be. And I think in this text, Paul talks about two things. There are more in Scripture, but two things that could really help us be thinking through of where our focus, um, where it ought to be. And so he says, do not lose heart. Do you find yourself, that's where you are. I find myself, I'm just, I'm just losing heart. I'm just, it's not what it used to be. It's, I, I just not, uh, I'm not feeling it like I used to feel it. And here's some reasons that you might be losing heart. Um, you might lose heart if you um, have a lack of persistent prayer. Or maybe you used to pray a lot. You used to pray about a lot of things. And now you just don't seem to have time for prayer anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't get up the list high enough anymore for you. You just find yourself motoring through life, and, and as a result, you find yourself losing heart. Um, there's no reliance on the Holy Spirit for anything. Everything you do, you do through your wisdom and what you can do. And if someone said to you, tell me one thing in your life that you've seen God do in the last month, you'd be like, um, um, I really can't think of anything. Um, a lack of a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Um, a, a lack of time in the Word. You used to spend a lot more time reading the Bible than you do these days. Um, uh, maybe you're growing weary in doing good. And uh, you used to serve in all kinds of different things and all kinds of different ways. And you've just, you just lost it. It's just not what it used to be. Um, maybe you're just going through a very serious time with some tribulation that is really tough right now. Or how about this one? Um, maybe there's just sin. There's sin. Sin that's unconfessed. Sin that's unrestrained. And as a result, when it comes to your walk with God, you find yourself losing heart. 
Somebody said this to me a few weeks ago. I really liked it. He said, do you know what you need to do to drift spiritually? So here's the secret. Like, if you want to know what to do to drift spiritually, here's what you do. You do nothing. You do nothing. And maybe that's what you've been doing. You, you haven't been doing anything. You haven't been in the Word. You haven't been in prayer. Haven't been in small group. Haven't been in, haven't, and you're drifting. See, to drift in your walk with God, it's really simple. Just do nothing. How do you grow weeds in your garden? Do nothing. And the weeds just sprout up, and there they are. And so I want to challenge us today to be thinking about a focused heart and what that would look like for us and what that could look like for us. And uh, some of you, that'll be your story. And maybe you're just wrestling and struggling. And in our text that I'm going to read, Paul twice tells them, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And he gives us two ways, two things for us to do so that we don't lose heart. So I'm going to ask you and invite you to stand with me. I want to read this whole chapter to you. And so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. And here's what it says. Second Corinthians chapter four, it says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we've renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of, heart, of God so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is your word penned by Paul who went through so much, so much. And he says to the church, don't lose heart. And we don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And so Lord, I pray that you would do through the power of your spirit what I can't do. 
that, Father, you would, uh, in us, give us ears to listen and hear your word, minds, God, to comprehend it, but then, God, faith, faith with your spirit to live these things out for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. You know, in that very first verse, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So here's the first point, two-point sermon, but you won't get out early because there's like four sub-points under each point, just so you know. I don't, you don't want to set you up, and then you go, he did a bait and switch on me here. It's, um, here's the first point. We have this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. So if, if mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve, I tend to be a grace guy. I tend to think about it like that. Like in my salvation, all the things that God has given me, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we think about all that God has given us, and that's true in Scripture, and he talks about grace in this text. I, I believe grace and mercy, it's the, it's the flip side of the same coin, right? But, but in this, he focuses on, on the mercy he focuses on the mercy for us. Um, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, his mercies, his you're not getting what you deserve are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't think about my faith like that much. so much. I, I tend to think about it. Look what God's given me. Look what God has done for me. Look what His mercies, you're not getting what you deserve, are new every morning. You know, before you get out of bed in the morning, I believe every day we should seek to live our lives out of the gospel, out of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And before your feet hit the floor, it's like, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for who I am in Jesus Christ. I, I have no hope outside of what Christ has done. And, and, and we, we, But how about thinking like this as well? And God, I think about all the things. I think about the things you've given me, but I think about all that you haven't as well. His mercies, his not giving you everything that you should have gotten. His mercies and not, and not saying enough of you. I have nothing to do with you. His mercies in that, that 70 times seven thing, well, you hit the 490 mark, I'm done with you. And yet his mercies, his, his is you're not getting what you deserve. His, you deserve eternal punishment. You deserve hell. But his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. On Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, I think if I was writing, it'd be by the grace of God. Look what God has done for you. But he says, by the mercies of God. By the, by the you're not getting what you should have got. By the mercies of God. Now, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but I'm, I don't think that way so much. I don't think about the, all that should have been poured out of me that isn't poured out of me by God. But he says, when you take hold of those things, says right in the text, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So what, what is the mercy? I mean, what is the, what, what is the, um, what is the ministry that we have? I think Paul's talking specifically about the gospel. 
We have this ministry of the gospel demonstrated specifically for him and planting churches and seeing people saved. And that ought to be true in our lives as well. We have this ministry that God has given us by the mercy of God. And, and so I, but I think that pours out in our lives in lots of different ways as well. We don't get a pass on this. Like the way we, we, uh, we inter interact with our friends and our neighbors, the way that we, we raise our family, the way that we work in the workplace, the way that we, all of these things that we have that we don't deserve. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. Now you'll notice the text starts out with that word, therefore, which is always the key. Like, what is it therefore? Could be the first three chapters is why the therefore is there, but we're not gonna go back into all of that. I'm just gonna go back into the verse right before it. And we will all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transferred into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul's just like, with all God has done for us, how awesome is all of this? Therefore, therefore, having this ministry by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. So let's take a look quickly at four characteristics that Paul lays out. I think four characteristics that were in his life and four characteristics that should be in our lives. As he talks about this, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. What do we do? What did he do? Here's the first thing. And be faithful. Be faithful. Look at verse two. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And he goes on, even if our, our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. And look at verse four, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul calls himself and calls this church and calls us to be faithful, to be faithful, faithful to the calling we have in Jesus Christ, faithful to the word of God, faithful being to obedient to what God has called us to, not taking shortcuts, not softening the message, being true to what God's word says. You know, here's, here's one little picture of it. I, I, I read an article the other day. It was a good article. It talked about asking Jesus into your heart. Is it right for us to tell people, you, know, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, right? And some of you are like, well, of course it's right. Well, it's not wrong, but it's not complete. You see, and if we don't tell the whole story of the gospel, we make Jesus just some like fairy out there is offering us something and you just take it and it's all yours. The gospel includes man's sinfulness, man's fallenness, man's inability to get right with God. The gospel includes God's wrath being poured out on Jesus Christ and him being the only true satisfaction of God's wrath. So the gospel has an understanding of sin, a point of repentance, and then a transfer of trust. It's like, I'm not believing in myself anymore. I'm asking Jesus into my heart. So I don't have a problem with the statement, but it's incomplete if we don't tell the whole gospel for people. Because the gospel is an amazing story that, that starts out with how hopeless we were and but God, and then Jesus Christ, and then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
right? So to back, back to our text, it's like, just be careful in what we do. Be careful in what we teach that we're teaching the counsel of God and we're not making salvation some fairy tale little thing and you just believe about Jesus and you're, you're fine. The devil believes in Jesus. You believe in God, you do well. So do the demons, right? It, it's more than just a mental ascent of who God is and who Jesus is. It's the understanding of what he accomplished and then trust him. I'm not trying to make it complicated. It's just the reality of the truth because that makes the gospel so much more glorious for us. You know, you could fill this building with people if you just did nice and frilly little things all the time and made it really easy to come to church and never really opened your Bible, just had some illustrations and a couple stories and throw a verse in there maybe, mention Jesus a couple times, and yeah, people will flock to that. And he said, be faithful. You have this ministry. By the, you're not getting what you deserve. You have this ministry by the mercy of God be faithful, be people of integrity. Don't shortcut on the truth of God's word. He talks about in verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It means it's veiled or it's covered up or it's blinded. And that's the consequences to those who don't respond to the gospel. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds. He's blinded their minds. The God of this world and Paul's cry to the church, Paul's cry for you and me in our walk with him is let's, let's be faithful. Be faithful. Why? Why? Because all that God has saved you out of and all that God has done for you, don't lose heart. Be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, the next thing we, we, we see in the text is be bold in verses five and six. For what we proclaim, what we proclaim it's not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine, in, uh, shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That which we proclaim, this good news we have, this gospel that we have, we need to be bold and strong, not arrogant, not proud, not boastful, not harsh, but we need to be bold. We need, we need to tell the truth to people. Um, what, what a shame if, if, if you, you live your life before somebody their whole life and at the end of it, it's like, but you never told me about Jesus. You, you never told me about the gospel. You never, well, I, but I didn't want to offend you. I, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't want to, and and. We have to tell the truth. We tell the truth in love. And I love that, that Paul talks about that in the text and he, he wants us to be bold in what we say for what we proclaim. Because he's not proclaiming himself. It's not his story. It's not who he is. It says what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And so as you share the gospel with people, as you demonstrate the gospel in your life, people should be asking you for the reason of the hope that's in you. Like you're, you're a little bit different than I am. There's something about you that's different. And, and we proclaim with confidence what we have in Jesus Christ. Do you do that? Do I do that? Are we seeking to shine the light that it talks about in the next verse? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hey, church, 
gospel proclamation. It's part of what we're called to. And we're to do it with a boldness. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've already heard me explain the gospel to you. The, the gospel is man was separated from God and had no hope. There's nothing we can do about it. God has restored the relationship to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and suffered and suffered uh, um, the paying the wrath that God required and, and by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross in his resurrection has made a way to God by faith alone in Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's a gift that comes from God and he offers to us it to us. And as you hear that today, that should encourage your heart. If you're a follower of Christ, it should bring you to, that's awesome what God did for me. That's amazing what God did for me. I was going to hell and there's nothing I could do about it. And the Lord Jesus Christ reached down and I put my trust in Christ alone for my salvation and I am saved. We've got a great message. We need to be bold about that message. But we need to be humble in the way we deliver that message. Look down at verse seven. But we have this treasure. The treasure we have is the gospel. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to to us. Um, that idea of we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, some, I think some versions even say at least, but it says in cracked pots, right? Um, but here's the point. The point is what we have inside the vessel is what's so important, not the vessel. You're not the important part in the gospel story. The Lord Jesus Christ is the important part in the gospel story. And so when he says jars of clay, he's talking about your everyday dishes at your house. Not the fine china. We have fine china in our house that only comes out when special people come to our house. It hasn't been out in 15 years. I don't know. When it comes out, I'm afraid to eat off of it. And if there's any children, there's no way it's ever going in front of them, right? Because it's just way too valuable. We don't have very much of it. It's just way too valuable. But the everyday dishes, my daughter, who lives up in Muskoka, has two kids. She buys her everyday dishes at, where is it? Thank you, at Dollar Tree. Because if one of the plates breaks, it just doesn't matter. Just go back next week and for a dollar, you get another plate, right? And uh, Okay, the purpose of this point that Paul is making is not that we can be thrown away and we don't matter. That's not the point. You miss the whole point if that's what you got out of this. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why? Okay, so we have the gospel in us, the responsibility to share the gospel through us, through jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, it's where is the value? It's a value proposition. The value proposition is not in me, a jar of clay. The value proposition is who is Jesus Christ? And, and that should humble us. That God would use us as the way to send forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are his ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. 
a jar of clay. But it's so that we don't get confused and people start following. They used to say, Paul would say, some are of Paul and some of are of Paulus. That's because they got the wrong view of the vessel. We're not, none of us, we're of Christ. I love that truth because that humbles me. It makes me understand this responsibility I have is just to be a clay pot. Emphasis on pot, probably, but to be a clay pot so that the glory of Jesus Christ can shine out. What Jesus Christ has accomplished becomes the most important thing. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that in his time he can exalt you, but in humility. We need to be humble. Paul says in verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're gonna go back to that list that he gives there in just a second. If you read Acts 23 and verse 12, there were 40 men who conspired together to not eat or drink until they had murdered Paul. They were so upset with what he was doing, they made a decision, we're going on a fast and we're not eating. I don't know when they broke the fast because they lived way too long after that. But we are, we are not gonna eat we're not, until we take that guy out. So when he talks about affliction, and we're gonna come back to that in the text a little bit later, we are afflicted in every way. So you're walking around knowing there's 40 guys out there that wanna take you out. So you think you've got pressure, right? He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair in verse eight and nine. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. There was a humility that Paul had. We have all of this, but we're not giving up. We've done this, but we're not packing it in. We're not coming under this. We are, we are going to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, but we do it in jars of clay. Paul, Paul asked the Lord three times to take away his thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. It might have been his eyesight, whatever it was. And the Lord said, nope, not doing it. That's going to be with you the rest of your life. Why? Just to keep him from getting proud so that he would remember he's a jar of clay. He would remember that the true value of the message is in the message and not in him. And God did not take that away from him, but left. So if you have a trial, if you have a, a something the Lord hasn't taken away, you've been asking, go away, I don't want this, I don't want this. Maybe the Lord's allowing you to have that so he'll get the glory in your life and you won't get the glory in your life. Um, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, verses 10 and 12, always carrying in the body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. And so we come to this message, this, this gift we have, this ministry by the mercy of God. We don't lose heart and we serve humful, humbly, but here's the last one in this. We serve with hope. Be hopeful. Now look at verse 14 and what it says. Verse 14 says, knowing, knowing, it's good to study the word and know what it says. Knowing, we always go back to the things that we know, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You have this ministry by the mercy of God. Do not lose hope. Here's the second thing. We have this ministry for the glory of God. Do not lose hope. 
We have this ministry by the mercy of God, not getting what we deserve. Do not lose hope. We have this ministry for the glory of God. Do not lose hope. Glory is all over this passage. I'm not going to read them all, but it's found in verse 4. It's found in verse 6. It's found in verse 15. It's found in verse 17. God's glory is important. And God's glory is important to God himself. In Isaiah chapter 42, um, here's what God says about his glory in verses 6 to 8. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant before the people, a light for the nation, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. The new things I now declare before um, they, the, the spring forth, I tell you of them. I love that where he says, my glory I give to no other. How many times do we live for the glory? How many times? It's fun to watch hockey players sometimes and, you know, they score a goal and they just do a crazy thing. And, but then when they do the announcement, they talk about it all being for team and they try to deflect the glory. They deflect the glory. And I, I think that's probably good that they do that. But, but in our hearts, like, do we do that? In our walk with Christ, do, do we like it when people are like, yeah, you did an amazing job. Yeah, that's amazing what you did for God. Yeah, it's like, the glory belongs to him. I'm just a clay pot. The glory belongs to him. We have this ministry for the glory of God. How do we see the glory of God? Real quick, you can teach on this until Jesus comes back and you still won't run out of information, right? You want to see God's glory? Look at God's glory in his creation. Look at what he's met. We were, we were at retreat in, um, out in Canmore. If you're on Facebook with your pastor and his wife, you saw pictures of them uh, in the mountains and you're probably a little jealous of what they were having. And uh, we were in Canmore, Alberta. It was gorgeous there. Some went up into um, Banff. Some went up to Lake Louise. You know, Lake Louise is still frozen in, until the end of June into July. And uh, people go up to Lake Louise thinking, it's gonna go see the lake. It'll be awesome. They get there, it's just ice, right? Until you get to July, um, anyways, so all of that said, in my room, the first morning we were there, had my Bible open, nice table. I opened the drapes, and in Canmore, the mountains that are famous in Canmore are the Three Sisters, that's what they're called. And I opened my drapes, and there they are, like they're right in front of me, and I'm like, oh my Lord, that is awesome. God in his creation. But the people who live in Canmore, they're like this. They've lost sight of the three sisters. They're still there all the time. They've just lost sight of the three sisters. On day two, when I opened my drapes, I'm, I'm not saying I'm much better than them. It's like, wow, that's really cool. And on day you know, three, it was okay. And on day four, it was like, yeah, I guess they're still there, right? So we lose sight of God's glory because we lose sight of what he's done in his creation. And we need to get our eyes focused on some of those things to see God in his creation, see God in his creation, see God in his attributes, in his holiness, in his justice, in his love for us in so many ways. See God through his son, the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ and our salvation complete for us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We receive it. And see God in his glory in all of that. See God in the glory of his word. See God in the glory of the transformation of your sinful life. See God in the glory of the working of his 
spirit in you. We see God in his glory. In verse 15, it says, for it's all for, for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Three words for us to see here. See, remember, and look. Here's the first one. See grace extended. Paul looked around. And he's challenging the church. See grace extended. See the grace that God uh, demonstrated in your life. See it demonstrated in the church. See it demonstrated in people that maybe you've had the privilege to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ and you rejoice in what God has done. See grace extended. See grace of saving. God's saving grace for us. God's forgiving grace for us poured out for us every day. Every day you come before the Lord and you confess your sin and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And you see God in his grace and your forgiveness. He said, like, see God in his grace and see God in his perseverance for you. You know that whole uh, 70 times seven thing, 490 times? I, I, that ran out for me a long time ago. And God continues to be faithful. God continues to be forgiving. I see God's grace in my life. I see God's grace in our marriage. I see God's grace in our family. And he says, see God in his grace and see God's grace extended. Then he says this, he says, remember, remember. And, and he talks about Thanksgiving being expressed in verse 15. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase Thanksgiving to the glory of God. Y'all need to go home this afternoon. Y'all, sounds like I'm from the South. Y'all need to go home this afternoon. You all need to go home this afternoon and, and do an inventory of, of, of God's goodness to you, of thanksgiving. Um, knowing I was preaching this message this weekend, I think the Lord did this for me on Friday night, Saturday morning. I get up in the middle of the night. I get back to bed. I can't get to sleep. It doesn't happen often for me, but I can't get to sleep. And I, when that happens, I think you should use those times wisely, watching televisions, checking your emails, not a good use of that time. But God put on my heart your church. And I laid in bed, and I was thinking about things God has done here. And I was thankful. I was thankful. I thought about the first Sunday. I wasn't here. I've heard uh, you talk about it, Brian. Talk about the first Sunday, pouring rain, wondering if anybody's even going to show up. See, here's a problem that we have. We are always so focused on going this way, moving forward. We see all the stuff in front of us, and we're like, oh, how are we ever going to get through this? And God's saying, would you just stop and take a look back? Take a look back with thanksgiving to God's goodness. So that's what I was doing. I thought about that. I thought about that. I thought about some other things that God was doing. I'm just going to give you three or four that I thought of. I thought about when I was here a year or so ago, and there was a baptismal tank like right here. And, and uh, there were a whole bunch of people in both services that were getting baptized. You remember that day? And, and I remember hearing the story of the elders and some of the guys. They had to put posts in downstairs because they were concerned that the baptismal tank was going to go through the floor and be down in the basement. Okay. Um, and, 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 and God worked, and, and that was a story of God's grace, but it's a great story of remembrance because every one of those represents a gospel story that God did, and we need to remember God's goodness because when we're struggling with going forward, we need to look back and see, look what the Lord has done. You look for a pastor, and God provided God provided on an interim basis for Paul Little to come and help to lead and encourage the church and all the rest, and then God brought Ross to you and his wife, Leanne. They're a gift from God. 
But how fast do we forget those things? You see, if you got the journey in front of you and it's hard and you're not sure how it's gonna play out, you need to stop and look back and go, oh my goodness, look how good God has been. Look what he's done. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. And that will give you the courage and the boldness and the faith to move forward because you've seen God in his goodness. You've seen God in his faithfulness and it's allowing you to move forward for his glory. See, grace extended. Be filled with thanksgiving. I heard this quote a couple weeks ago. It goes like this. We lose hope and become filled with fear. We stop working when we forget. We take our eyes off of the act of working of God and his word. We lose hope. We become filled with fear. We stop working when we forget and take our eyes off of the act of working of God and his word. Great is his faithfulness. That's looking and seeing all the things God has done, seeing it in your life, seeing it in your church, seeing it in your family. And then it's like, I don't know, Lord, I don't know how you're gonna do it. I just know you always do. You always, for your glory, you always do. See grace extended, remember Thanksgiving Express. And then here's the last one. Look with expectant hope. Look with expectant hope. Look at verses 16 and 17. So we declare, so, excuse me, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I love this verse. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this light momentary affliction. Some of you are, yeah, I was with you right till that point because my affliction is not light and it's not momentary. It's hard for me right now. You don't have a clue what I'm going through though. You don't know how hard it is for me. I don't and I don't pretend to and I don't want to make light of what it is because for you it's very real right now. But I would challenge you to keep looking back and remembering God's goodness, and remembering his faithfulness, and his promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. All that's part of what God gives to us in our toolbox so that we can move forward. But this is Paul talking. Paul's talking about this light, momentary affliction. He describes his light, momentary affliction so well in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11 down in verses, I want to get to the right verses here, 23 to 28. Listen to this, because he's the one that says, these light momentary afflictions. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, and I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from on my own people. There's a scary thought. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false prophets, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these, 
If that's not enough, he said, there's the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Oh. And I talk about my afflictions. And he calls those his light, momentary afflictions. How, how could he do that? He's not lying. How could he do that? Because he had his eye on the prize. He knew what he was looking forward to. He knew where he was going. He knew that these things that he was going through, which, you know, if you put all of my stuff on the scale and stick my thumb on it, it still doesn't equal what he was going through. But he knew where he was going. He knew where his hope was. He knew where he had been. He knew who had been faithful and he's gonna trust God through it. And at the end, it's all for the glory of God. And so we bring glory to God when we see his grace, when we remember. And then when we look forward with an expectant hope. Look at the last verse of 2 Corinthians 4. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You might be going through a difficult, difficult time, and you might be having a hard time right now seeing that this is a transient thing, but God is faithful. He is faithful in your life. Whatever the journey is, he will be faithful. He promises to be faithful. And at the end of the day, careful how I say this, it's not about this world it's not about this world. It's what's coming. So I'm 63, turning 64. I know I don't look half that age, but I'm, I, I realize that. But I find myself as I get older looking more like towards that direction. It's like I look forward to what's coming. I look forward to parts of me hurt that I didn't even know I had, okay? And it's like I look forward to what's coming. So I get it. When you're younger, it's, it's like the world's before me. I got to go conquer the world and I can conquer the world. And that's all wrong thinking, but it's, it's the way we all were and are. And, and God's I got something so much greater for you. And, and I don't care if you're 65, 85, or 25, God's got something far greater that's coming for us. And we get our eyes fixed on that. Then we'll get our eyes fixed on the glory of God. Hey, church. Well, so what, eh? So what? Hey, church, don't, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. You have all of this because God's giving you what you don't deserve. And he's giving you so much more in, in grace in Jesus Christ. God has given you this ministry by the mercy of God. Don't lose heart. Whatever you're going through right now, by the mercy of God, do not lose heart. He's given it to you so you can show glory to God. He's giving you this ministry for the glory of God. Do not lose heart that we be a church, a people of God, that people look at and they go, wow, there's something about them that's so different. They're not so tied up in all this stuff and all that's going on because their eyes are fixed on something different. Would that be your story as a follower of Christ? Would that be my story for the fame and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that comes from it. We do not lose heart Twice he said it. It's important. Your mercies are poured out on us. Your grace is poured on us. Your love is poured on us. Father, we do not lose heart. 
Would we look back? Would we remember? Would we look forward? Would we trust? Would we have hope? Because we know there's something far, far greater coming to. But more, more important, even in all of those things, would we serve for the glory of the one who saved us, for the glory of a God who loved us when we were so undeserving? We do not lose heart. We will serve for the glory of our God. We pray in Jesus' name.